Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Leave Alone, a drag king, producer, and burlesque performer based in New York City. The producer of Beef Show at Bizarre Bushwick, and also Jump Shark, a monthly open mic drag, burlesque, and vocals event that fundraises for Planned Parenthood, Leave Alone is also the current reigning Mr. Coney Island. With Matt, Lee chats about his start in drag and burlesque, and discusses some of his most iconic performances. He also chats about the Beef Squad Drag Collective, which he also runs, and his production on The Yell Club, a drag and karaoke event at Rock Bar, New York City. And so, from learning and growing in the burlesque and drag scene, to how he met Sasha Velour, here's presenting Matt Storm and Leave Alone. But wait, did you know that Crash Chords Autographs is now on Patreon? Support this podcast with tiered donations, and in return, receive tokens of our appreciation, ranging from a shout-out on this podcast, to exclusive audio content, custom playlists, stickers, t-shirts, or a fully DJ'd event. This week's shout-out goes to Stormageddon's Patreon supporters Rob Starabin and Mary Jane. Visit patreon.com slash stormageddon. And welcome to another episode of Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest this week is the incredible Leave Alone. That's you. Um, Lee, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Um, I've been a fan of yours since I first saw your Totoro act at D20 Burlesque's anime show. That that act's really ridiculous. It's, it's very just, extra. I'm very a- excited that as of when we're recording this, that you'll be doing it for Metropolis. Actually, I had to... to I, 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 I pulled a very bad producer move, and I've, I've literally never done this. I accidentally double-booked myself. Oh, no. So oh. I am not going to be there, but... The suit is going to be there. So <laughs> Excellent. When when I realized what what had happened, I, I contacted I got I contacted. Sure. I, I I talked to the producers and I was like, listen, I I'm so sorry I did this, but if there's anything I can do to like help you out, like I can try and find another drag king, or would you have any interest in just borrowing the suit? It's a great <laughs> prop. And they were like, yeah, actually, can we borrow the suit? That'd be great. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So the suit will be there. Oh, cool. So just pretend I'm in it. So we'll just pretend you're in it. No one will really know. There's no way you could possibly know if it's me or not. (laughs) Um, But I've always... It's funny. When I first met you as a performer, I just knew that you were a burlesque performer who went by he, him pronouns. Mm -hmm. But I had no concept of drag kings or really drag at all. It wasn't until about a year later that when I got closer with Victor Devon, I started going to White Elephant, which Petra Fried always hosts the Mm pre-show. And that was my earliest experience with drag besides, like, pop culture culture TV drag. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing you perform more and, and many other kings perform more. Um, so for me, it's a very recent revelation that this this thing exists, but I know it's existed for a long time. Have you always been interested in drag since you were younger, or is it something that you came to when you were older? Well, you know, um, coming into... I, f- I found drag when I moved to Brooklyn. Um, so the short version of the story is I moved to Brooklyn to be with my now uh, spouse, then po- uh, partner, and he decided to move to Brooklyn, and I followed him six months later. And when I moved to Brooklyn, it was the middle of one of the rainiest winters um, New York has had in years. This was 
gosh, eight years ago, seven years ago? It was a while ago. And it was just a really horribly cold, rainy winter. And when I moved here, I didn't have a job. I didn't have any friends. So for my first month, all I did was stay at home and watch Netflix. <laughs> and at the time, RuPaul's Drag Race was on Netflix. So I, I watched every episode and just fell in love with the art form and fell mm -hmm. in love with the medium and thought, oh, my gosh, what? how can I do this? This is amazing. I, I wish I could partake in something like this. Oh, it's so cool. Well, I'm walking down Fulton Street and I look and I see a sign that says Drag King Show. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so I go to this Drag King Show and meet those kings and start getting more active in the scene. I eventually join um, a drag uh, sort of group situation, was with a part of that group for about a year and then branched off on my own. And now I produce minimum of five shows a month. I have um, between 10 and 15 regular bookings a month and am Mr. Coney Island. So yeah, that's pretty it's cool. It's pretty crazy that that's all happened in the course of four years. And uh, so now I know that also your your full performer name is Lee Valone Valour mm -hmm. of House Valour. Well, that's not even the full one. What's uh, the full, full one? My full drag name is the Reverend Mr. Lee Valone Valour. PhD Esquire. That, that those last two are from Victor. Hi, Victor. Yeah, thanks, Victor. <laughs> um, uh, and so, how did you get? So obviously, um, Sasha Valore is a huge name in New York mm -hmm. and was on RuPaul's Drag Race. How did you connect with them? Did you know them beforehand? Well, what, this is so crazy. So Sasha um, and I met with, uh, through drag, but I also sort of met Sasha through my spouse Evan. Uh, in comics. So Sasha is a, um, you know, drag performer extraordinaire, like taking over the world with that. But before drag really, really, um, before she was extremely popular in drag, she was very well known in the independent comics community in the Northeast. Oh, cool. um, so Evan met Sasha through um, comics. And at one point at um, this comic convention called SPX, uh, they have an award show called the Ignats. And this one year, Sasha was giving out the awards and hosting this award show. And Evan actually won an award that uh, that weekend. So Sasha and, and my spouse met before I met Sasha. That's really funny. Um, and then Sasha and I met through drag. And we actually both started producing our shows at Bazaar Bushwick. Um, she was doing nightgowns when it, and I was doing beef. Um we started those shows the same month. Mm -hmm. So we sort of became like, we figured out how to produce together. We figured out how to like be in that space together. And we built this friendship and, uh, I miss her so much. She travels so much and she's so busy, but it's, it's, I'm so proud of my friend. It's been really amazing watching her grow into this, Entity. <laughs> it's awesome, yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about Beef Show. Beef, Beef Show! Which is a, a trend that I never get tired of. And my favorite thing now is that I'm DJing at, like, Bizarre Bushwick is pretty much where I live now. Mm -hmm. And so I've DJed there so much more. And it's so often that members of that show are in other shows that I do, like mm -hmm. Eat Me and uh, Magical Girl and, and so many others. And every time the show is mentioned, that happens, oh, yeah. and I think that's incredible. So, how did Beef Show? Beef Show? Beef Show! How did that let's, start? Let's agree that well, we won't do it anymore, though, for the, for sake the podcast. Of the podcast. Yeah. Just for the <laughs> podcast. But those of you at home are obligated every time you hear it to, to, say to it. at least say it under your breath. Just yeah, be like, exactly. Beef Show. <laughs> um, so, how did that show get started? Sure. Um, so, um, 
beef started as this idea of like having an all drag king show in Bushwick. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a co-producer at the time and we were approached by um, the owners of Bazaar about doing this show. So we decided to take it on. And the first year of Beef, um, well, the first 11 months of Beef, I had a co-producer and it was really, really great. Um, we had very successful shows. It was, But it was more a, um, a smaller show. It was mm-hmm. like, it, was, it wasn't, um, you know, hours and hours. At the time it was, you know, we had eight acts and we would do the thing and it was brilliant. I would host or co-host. It was a really, really strong show. It was a really great show, but it was a very, I don't like the word run of the mill, but it was very like, this is a burlesque and drag show. This is what we're doing. It's, it's, there are four acts per set and it's great. And it it was, it was a really, really cool time to figure things out. And um, then I became the sole producer of Beef and I tried to continue that trend of the you know eight act show with intermission etc etc um until the spring uh after i took over and then i produced a show called um respect the van a tribute to epicness (laughs) that's really when beef became what beef is now so i am a anarcho gonzo trans rock and roll bullshit kind of drag king i like i I, i'm loud i like grandiose i love you know rock and roll gonzo bullshit and when i decided to um, produce this epicness show i don't remember what my exact logic was or why i thought this was a good idea but i do remember earlier in that year i did particularly well um, with booking. So I just kind of had a little extra money to pay people. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, I'm going to throw this huge blowout show and we'll see how it goes. So we do it and it was amazing. (laughs) It was the first like real, that show really was the real beef. Mm -hmm. The beef that we all know as beef now. Yeah. And it was, you know, we had six go-go dancers. We had two sets with five acts each and two of them were duets and it was like crazy. It was just this huge show and I got the taste for blood and that's what we do every show now. Um, now it's not really a beef unless we have, you know, go-go and, and all these acts and there's a mess and there's all these things and it goes too long and everyone loves it even though it's a Tuesday. And <laughs> it's it's Beef is completely out of control. Well, and it's become its own its own uh, family at this mm-hmm. point because you have a family portrait you have performers that are very much in the same vein of uh, White Elephant where they are part of that family even if they're not performing at every show this is the core group and then you build from there absolutely and I think that's really great A to give this sense of space you know I'm not super familiar with, with the drag scene but I do know that there were always these drag houses and people who took other people in so to see you as this father figure who brings in these people and brings them together mm. has been really cool to see in the scene oh thanks and you've yeah. always made people feel uh, safe and loved too which I like is that like ever since I met you there was never this moment of oh I don't know this guy fuck this guy like you're very (laughs) warm unless you're given a reason not to be you're very warm and very welcoming and I have always appreciated that and so I think beef gives that sense and gives off that vibe everyone's welcome there it's a it's a wonderful show that anyone can enjoy Mm -hmm. was that always the goal to kind of create this family uh well I Yes and no. Um, it You know, the best families are the ones that you find on accident. Mm-hmm. And 
when I first started doing drag, you know, um, you, I, you know, would hear about these drag houses and all this stuff. And I, I loved the idea. Um, I was a member of this drag collective for about a year and that was a very positive experience. Um, and when, when I branched out on my own, I, I really longed for that sense of community and I, I missed having um, a group of individuals that I could just sort of rely on to make these shows happen because being a producer is, is hard enough when you don't have backup. Right. And I um, quickly found out that I just needed help. And the, the drag, the, okay, rewind. So Beef is the show. Beef Squad is my drag collective that mm-hmm. I am the primary leadership of. It's very much a, um, it's an, we run our group with a lot of anarcho principles and there's not really any one person in charge. But at the end of the day, I'm the one that if something goes wrong, it's my fault. And I'm the one that fronts the money. Mm-hmm. So that sucks, but it, it's so unofficially, it is my group and right. I started it. So I'm, it's all, as Victor says, it's all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when we first started, you know, Beef Squad didn't, necessarily have a name it just was sort of this group of of individuals that were always of making themselves available to be a part of this show because mm-hmm. they believe in the show so the original quote-unquote members of beef squad you could say were uh myself my spouse uh dj cheesecake dave celia foxglove and jj sparks um and through then just my close friends that i was working with a lot anyway started hanging out with Beef more and becoming more involved. And then we met new performers that really worked well with us. So they became involved. And now we officially are this drag collective. And we're 14, 13 members strong. Um, and it's it's really beautiful um, how we all support each other and love each other. And there's little to no um, drama. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone has drama. Of course. But it's... it's to be honest, the only person that brings drama into the group is me, so it's 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 fine. Well, at least you're honest about I'm it. I'm very, oh, yeah, point. like the only one who causes like emotional distress is me because I'm you know a wreck. Um, <laughs> but the the beauty of my drag family and the thing that I love most about it is its fluidity. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point in time, we had 15 members, and now we have 13 because uh, two individuals decided they needed to step back and focus on their own careers and focus on their own stuff. And all of us just, you know, it's, it's sad, but we, you know, we hold them and say, we love you. You come back anytime we want. We're going to see you all the time. This isn't goodbye. It's just, I'm, I'm going to do a different thing. And that's so important for, um, any sort of creative collective is the understanding that this is not a life sentence. This is just what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why this works. You can tell a lot about a drag collective by how they treat former members. Yeah. And I, 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 I love and cherish everyone that's coming. That's in beef squad. That's been in beef squad that hangs out with beef squad. Um, I mean, we have the official core group and then we have a handful of individuals that aren't technically in the group, but we work with them so much, we they might as well be. Right. You know, like Victor is a huge part of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with Jack, uh, Jack Sullivan a lot, mm-hmm. Doll Body. Um, we have, uh, we work with Full Power and Aurora North a lot. So there's a lot of people that definitely are not in Beef Squad, but they're, they're still family. Mm-hmm. And we just, um, all I want is to create a community space where people can, can, know that they're safe 
and know that they will be loved and accepted no matter what, especially if they fail. Um, to me, the biggest and most important thing about my drag collective is, is we are all deeply flawed people. Sure. And we all make mistakes. And I never want to be a part of a group where the second you make a mistake, you're dead. You're out. Yeah. And that's that's something I, I have seen a lot. And it, it's so sad because we're all human beings and we all make mistakes. So why would we try to deny that part of our critical human experience while we're trying to depict the human experience on stage. It's just massively hypocritical to me if, if these drag collectives and burlesque collectives that are so um, unapologetically dismissive yeah. of people. And um, to me, the, the, one of the biggest things that brings Beef Squad together, and we didn't even, I didn't plan this. There's, there's no way one could plan this. Um, every, everyone in my group, everyone in my family, my drag family, is neurodivergent, mentally ill, or has a physical difference that defines their daily life. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I, I just, I'll speak to my own. Um, I am a chronic insomniac. I have chronic depression. I have, you know, the, all the stuff that goes along with being trans. I have body dysphoria, gender dysmorphia, like all mm -hmm. these things. And I deal with it every day. And... I know that with my drag community, I can go to them, any any of them, and say, I'm having a really hard body day. Can you just, like, send me some cat gifts? <laughs> and they're all, everyone's down. Um, yeah. So well, that's one, thing I, that's one thing I love about the scene, and as I've gotten to know it for, I mean, I started in a unique place in the scene, mostly only DJing, and then as I became a host and then a producer with Magical Girl and started to meet more people, I'm really thankful for... Beef Squad and for White Elephant and for um, uh, Faux Pas and Aurora and the groups that they are with to teach me a lot. Like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm a bisexual, straight-presenting white male. And so for a long time, I had not a lot of experience with any, any of this huge spectrum. And I've learned yeah. so much from a lot of you. And my favorite thing about Beef is that how you guys support each other and so... Uh, uh, there's such a sense of devotion. Like, I had the benefit of being able to hire Cecile, uh, Cecile, Celia Foxglove. I always struggle with her name. That's okay. <laughs> um, um, for my scrub show, and she did an incredible Elliot Reed act. And even though members of the Beef Squad couldn't come to the show, you guys were posting about it and supporting mm -hmm. each other. And it meant a lot to me as the producer of the show, but it also meant a lot to me to see a producer stepping forward to support individual performers. A lot of collectives will sometimes stay insular and only promote their own work. Right. But you are not a person who does that. Victor is not a person who does that. If you like the performer or like the producer or like the, the collective, you promote their work, whether you're there or not, whether you're performing with them or not. And I think that's really important because not a ton of people do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's critical. Um, the, the thing that I try to keep in mind as much as possible is... Um, Burlesque in Brooklyn and in Manhattan is not a burlesque and drag. It's not a, a zero-sum game. It's right. not like, oh, well, I can't promote you because if I promote you, that takes away from me. Or it, it's just really irritating. And yeah. the only way that community actually flourishes is if we all support each other. Sure. And I, I take so much comfort in knowing things like, I mean, from my own experiences, like if I'm having a really, really bad time like if I'm having a really really 
like depressive manic episode, I have a list six people long of other producers and and hosts that I can call and say, I can't do this. I need you to be here. Can you be here? And they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I take a lot of of care to know what is going on in this scene. And I take a lot of care to make sure that I am an active participant in what my community is doing. Because mm-hmm. there's, it's, it's just masturbatory to be a drag burlesque person, producer with multiple shows and only promote your own shows and mm-hmm. only do your own shows and only go to your own shows. It's just, why are you doing this? And if you're just, if you're just in it for you, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of other things that you could do that will one, make you more money and two, make you more famous. If that's your, if that's what you want, if you right. just want to showcase yourself, I, I take a lot of effort to, um, invest in what my drag community, specifically my family, is doing. And if I if I personally cannot be there, I try to promote the hell of it. Mm-hmm. And we in the in the group we have like date nights where if someone is you know doing a show and we all are free, we'll all go. Yeah. Because one, we want to hang out, and two, we want to support each other. So for example, last night one of um, my uh, the members of the Beef Squad was in Shades of Burlesque. The Table en Trompe did an amazing drag king number. And a few of us went, and it was great. And we just got a chance to hang out a little bit and mm-hmm. see some shows, and it was brilliant. So I, it's so important for me that um, I am active in my drag family's lives because mm-hmm. why would I... I guess the easy answer is why wouldn't I be, but like, why would I only be in drag to do my own thing? Right. It's so fucking boring. <laughs> um, let's talk about your drag a little bit. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, the Totoro Act was the first act I ever saw. The first act that I really ever reacted to and responded to was your Gandalf act. Oh, yeah. A, because it's I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd. But it, it was funny. When the first time I saw that act, I was still very inexperienced in the drag scene and in the and just my knowledge of tran- the transgender community. And so I remember getting emotional during the transition in the act, and I'm like... Like, this is beautiful, but why am I getting so emotional? I remember talking to another performer, and they're like, because it's a metaphor for transition in general and Lee's transition. And I went, oh, of course. Of course, yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, (laughs) So, but in that act, as well as many other acts that you do, you have huge hair, large mustaches that you all make all yourself and Mm -hmm. are brilliant. So I wanted to talk about when that began and how you started creating your own stuff that so many people use now. I know you've made wigs for Anya. Mm -hmm. Like... How did you know that was a skill that you could do, and how did you develop it? Sure. Well, um, for those of you listening at home that maybe haven't seen my Gandalf act, basically it's um, I come out in a giant hat and huge hair and a big gray robe to Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, and I fight the bell rock and die, and then uh, at the end of the guitar solo, I rip off the robe and suddenly I'm Gandalf the White uh, with an equally impressive white robe, but um, I'm bare-chested and it's, you know, that kind of thing. Um, big reveals. It's very exciting. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, um, how did I know I wanted to start making things? So when I first started doing drag, um, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't have the big costumes and all this stuff, but I became so 
I just coveted all these queens that had these outrageous costumes and these big costumes and just very extra stuff. And mm -hmm. I was just like, how how do I get to do that? I want to do that. This is exciting. And I I think it all comes back to how I love making things. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I talk about on mic, but not a lot of people know. Um, I went to school for uh, classical Appalachian pottery. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So I have a BFA in, um, in ceramics. In ceramics. And, That's amazing. And I have a, a BA in pre-K education. So, like, my entire formal training to be a grown-ass man is about making things and entertaining groups of small children. <laughs> um, well, educating, of course, but right. entertaining. Like, yeah. you're a preschool teacher, like, 90% of your job is just to, like, keep everyone focused while we learn. It's, it's you're an entertainer. Um, so, when I found drag and I realized that this was a thing I could do, I, I just sort of did it and mm -hmm. it blew up so I, I i miss sculpting i i, I love sculpting i love making things and just through trial and error and watching a lot of youtube videos i figured out how to do wigs and costuming and all these things i've always been able to sew uh, but i learned how to sew better um <laughs> and i started being approached by other people to make them things and now it's become kind of my the side hustle of my side hustle to to make things. <laughs> um, one of the most impressive wigs I think I've seen that you've made is so for <laughs> for a long time, at least for me in social media, I've always considered you leave alone the flaming Elmo of burlesque mm -hmm. because that is your favorite reaction gif. Yeah. For everything. Everything. And it everything. covers the whole emotional spectrum. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm so sad today. I'm feeling all these things. Flaming Elmo. I'm so mad. Flaming yeah. Elmo. I just had a cheeseburger. Flaming Elmo. Elmo. And so you did a, a, a burlesque and drag show dedicated to Sesame Street, mm -hmm. and you did a Flaming Elmo <laughs> act, and you have this gigantic black and red wig that is just incredible. How long did it take you to make that? That wig needs to calm down. Um, <laughs> actually, you know, it, it didn't take that, that particular wig did not take that long because it is actually just three wigs that I zip tied together that were already <laughs> like fixed. So uh -huh. that wig didn't take too long. But um, what? A, a comparable wig is my giant pink one. Yes. So I have this massive pink wig that is... Um, it's, it's kind of an all-purpose. I, I wear it all the time because it's just very signature me. Um, that wig took probably about four hours to make, and I have to restyle it every now and then, and it, it takes about two hours to, to tease it out to its full glory. Um, I'm, I'm so mean to that wig. That wig <laughs> could take a beating. Um, I just started a, a new wig for Monroe Lily that is going to be a sort of rock and roller Marilyn Monroe, pardon me, uh, massive hair moment. Ooh. And so far there's about six hours in that wig, but oh, it's Monroe and she gets yeah. whatever the fuck she wants. That's true, she's, she's, she's phenomenal. I would move heaven and earth for her. I, I'll never forget the first time I saw her do her Aeon Flux oh, act. I made I was, that wig. You did make I that did, wig. I made that and wig. I, and I, I was just like, who is this extraterrestrial creature that's not of this earth? Yeah. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit about your acts and your influences. So obviously you dri- you take from pop culture, you take from your own experience, you take from nerdy properties as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when picking music for your acts, um, you've said already that you a, 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 are a rock and roll person and you love rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have go-to musicians that you like to pull from for your acts? I do, I do. Um, I really love um, going on Spotify and... I have my um, sort of curated rock and roller list mm-hmm. that I, I go to on, on that, just songs that I like and that maybe I'll use someday, but things I just listen to. It's a lot of, um, so it's a lot of Jack White stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of um, Led Zeppelin and Led Zeppelin affiliates. Um, uh, them Crooked Vultures. Uh, I, I, I don't have any acts to Queen of the Stone Age, but I listen to Queens of the oh, Stone Age love, a lot for inspiration. I love their music. I yeah. love their music. Um, let's see. Who else have I been like? I can just pull it up. Let's see. Who else have I been poking around at lately? I, um, oh, but I also really love um, folk music. So um, do you know the Avid Brothers? Mm-hmm. The sure. Avid Brothers are a huge, huge part of my drag. Like, I think I have five Avid Brothers acts. Sorry, not sorry. Um, (laughs) But I also, so I have my playlist and I have a few other curated playlists that I use. And I think because of algorithms or whatever, um, my daily mixes on Spotify, I've gotten so many great songs from there, just things I've never heard Mm -hmm. and really, really respond to. So for example, um, let's see. uh, I just did an act as John Waters to the killers, the man. Ooh, and that's I, good. It's it's such a good song. It it's is. so kingly. It's yeah. so it's just yeah. like screaming, <laughs> like please do drag to me. Um, and that's really fun. Um, but have you ever cu- created an act first and then looked for the music after, or is the start hmm. with the music usually? I think I have actually. Yes, I have. Um, so the song "Soap." So this is one of my oh my, yes, like, your soap act. I big remember that. numbers. So I've I've always wanted to do an act about like soap and like bath stuff because I have I have a thing and I like basically decided I wanted to eat soap on stage <laughs> and I was looking for the music forever and then I found the song Soap by Bad Flower and uh, it was perfect it was entirely too perfect it was almost like they wrote it for my act right and. Someday I'll send them a fan mail. Be yeah. like, listen. Listen. <laughs> listen you have I to check done. this out. This is this what I video. did to your work. Yeah. How do you feel? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Be, that being one of your go-to acts, I had only seen it for the first time when you did it for um, for Eat Me mm-hmm. a month or two ago. And, and like, I was floored. I just thought it was phenomenal. I actually can't do that act a lot physically because it makes me, it, uh, it sometimes makes me quite sick. Well, because so, you're eating soap. I'm eating soap, yeah. yeah. And you can't fake that. Like, no. it's, it's. You have to, if, especially in an act like that, especially since you're such an emotional performer. Like, mm. if you were to pretend to take a bite, it would be very obvious. Yeah, no, no, ha- no middle sliders. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all or nothing. Exactly. Um, I also do a lot of um, Johnny Cash. I, mm-hmm. I find Johnny Cash's uh, music hugely influential for me because um, just everything about his aesthetic, like every, I think if I were to pinpoint one person that has influenced my drag the most, it would definitely be Johnny Cash because, you know, he was also a chronically depressed person, potentially a mentally ill person, mm-hmm. um, you know, did the music thing, did the, like, spectrum of, of country from, like, really old school country to more rock and roll type covers and that kind of stuff. And just, like, 
everything about his aesthetic yeah. like, is, is important to me. And I just, you know, he was a deeply flawed man, and so am I. So it's I just, I love Johnny Cash. That's awesome. Um, has there ever been an act that you've wanted to make, but you just couldn't make work for one reason or another? Yes. Oh, you have you have an you you've answers on that. I was hoping you would ask me about this. So one of the things that I find most entertaining as a drag king is the ability to take a song that is like, it's it's not a maybe like everyone is sick of this song or they don't like this band or it's like I hate this song and then turn it and make it this amazing act and it gets stuck in everyone's head for a week (laughs) and you're just like damn it leave alone I didn't want that. So my dream, my big dream, uh, is to eventually do an act as Wally, the robot from the Disney film, mm-hmm. to Pearl Jam's Even Flow, uh, and change every time they say even to Eva. Oh, nice. Isn't that so That's good? great. I love but that. But like, the mechanics of becoming a robot like that to do what I want to do, it's just like, we got to Kickstarter that budget or something <laughs> like that. Like, but that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. I love that. Well, that's cool that, you know, as a performer, you have a goal that may not be attainable now, but that you want to do. And that's mm-hmm. so, like, that's such a solid idea from start to finish that you have ready to go. It's just financial. Yeah, it's a that, financial aspect. That keeps it keeps it from coming. That's, that's pretty awesome. Have there been any acts that you used to do all the time that you've since retired? Um, just because you don't want to do them anymore? Or are there any acts that you find that you're doing more because you're just in love with that act at the moment? Let's see. Um, well, actually, um, so this is this is a really important conversation, and I'm glad you asked this question. So I do Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. and Beetlejuice, uh, my, my Beetlejuice look... Um, it's pretty pretty well known around town. During October, I get booked up a lot at, to do to do that act because I've I've got a really good costume and like I love I love Michael Keaton. I would do Michael Keaton every day if I could. Like, I, just, like, he's, so it's he's just like his resurgence that. now has been really exciting oh, for me because so I love good. his stuff. I'm working on a the founder number. Yeah, Ooh, so, um, nice. It's gonna be good. Excellent. Uh, but anyway, so Beetlejuice. Um, so when I first started doing drag, I the first October that I was a drag king, I did Beetlejuice, and I made this mix. Uh, so, in, you know, and in, in a lot of um, drag performances, you, like, cut up songs and you put them together mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Well, um, you know, being a, a, young, uh, a young king and being a person that wasn't necessarily as culturally aware uh, as, as I am now and right. not having the conversations I've had now and all these things. Um, so my act was... Uh, it started off with Nirvana's Breed and then had some clips from the movie. And then it cut into the Nicki Minaj verse of Monster. Mm-hmm. And then it cut into um, uh, Shake Snore. So I now recognize that me lip syncing Nicki Minaj's verse, even though it's a character that is, this is clearly a, a fun, playful act, even though this is not me trying to embody blackness, even though this is not me trying to embody the feminine voice as as Nicki Minaj, all yeah. of those factors, it doesn't matter. Yeah. People perceive it that way. Right. And now that I've had a few conversations specifically with a member of Beef Squad, uh, Noctua, just like over the past year or so, I, I haven't really done Beetlejuice. The last time I did Beetlejuice was in December. Um, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, last December. Ever since then, I haven't done it because, like, we had this conversation and I realized that my perspective as a white person, that this is clearly a a fun act that is not me trying to embody any aspect of blackness whatsoever. 
could be perceived that way. Right. So I now no longer do that act. Okay. Um, I have to come up with a new Beetlejuice act for October because he gets booked up a lot. But right. it's But you're going to change it. Yeah, too. and it's so important to recognize, like, oh, that was a misstep. There was no harm intended and all these things. It doesn't matter my perspective on what I think of the act anymore. Now that I have the input of marginalized voices that have told me, hey, Lee, maybe that's not cool. Then that's it. Yeah. And so that act, that that number is retired. And, you know, if if anyone tries to book it, I'll just explain. Like, listen, I no longer feel it's appropriate for me to to do this particular act. I have this alternative. Right. So it's that not, act's it, retired. It, it, it's, it's also not like you don't have a library of acts to offer. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. I think so, I think you have enough on the back burner yeah. to, uh, to replace it with. And that's such a common thing with new drag performers is just like with the... No harm intended, and, and and not even from a place of ignorance, just from a place of, well, I think this might be okay. Yeah. After having conversations with performers that do have the absolute authority of, like, actually, no, this is not for you. Yeah. Um, it's totally fine. Like, I, yeah. I still get a little um, defensive when people who I feel should not... Good example. In Rocky Horror, um, uh, Sweet Transvestite. Mm-hmm. I have such a huge connection to that 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 movie and Frankenfurter and mm-hmm. all these things because like the vocabulary of transness didn't really exist. So for a lot of people for a really long time, the only relatable character that they had to their trans experience was Frankenfurter. So right. I think there's a huge reclaiming factor in Frankenfurter and in um, Sweet Transvestite. I love seeing performers like Miscellaneous Domtop doing uh, Sweet Transvestite. And I recently did a lip sync to Sweet Transvestite because I was feeling my trans feelings. And I I love that it's such an important thing to keep in mind. I think that if if I saw a drag queen, a cis drag queen, a white cis drag queen performing Sweet Transvestite disrespectfully, I think I would get a little butt hurt. Yeah, and I I think that it's but I think it's, that's it's important fair. to keep those yeah I think it's fair but it's like important to to keep these conversations fresh in our minds yeah. and understand that if 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 someone uses songs that may or may not be appropriate if the intention was not malicious it's important that we simply have the conversation and move on yeah you can't just blame someone outright because it doesn't solve anything yeah yeah no I agree I mean there's language I've used. As a kid, that I just never thought was a problem. You know, I also, you know, it was common in video game culture to use the word rape to describe how you decimated a team you're playing against. Mm -hmm. But then I met people who have actually been assaulted, and I'm like, no, this isn't okay. It's not appropriate. But it's hard to know unless someone calls you on it. Right. And unless you talk about it. If someone had just, you know, yelled at me and called me a terrible person and then didn't explain to me why, Mm -hmm. I'd be confused. But that wasn't the case. I used it a couple times with gamers who had been assaulted and said, this is not okay and here's why. This is my experience. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay, I understand. And I've not done it since. Yeah. But it's one of those things that unless you have, like, a big problem I've had in the, that I've seen in the burlesque community, I don't know that I'm directly involved in. It depends on, I guess, who you ask. But there's a lack of communication that becomes problems. Whereas people, if they talk, and, and, and I understand that it's not always easy to talk. And, of course, if we're dealing with stuff like assault or or people doing malicious things, that maybe the conversation can happen. Mm-hmm. But then it filters out throughout the community and no one has a conversation about yeah. it. 
Yeah. And I and I found that that to be the bigger problem. Yeah, I agree. I I find that um, one of the most toxic elements of our community at large is people are very stubborn, and stonewalling is one yeah. of the most unfortunate methods of abuse that people utilize just because they don't feel like talking. Yeah. And that's the thing, like when you when when someone says to you, I will not talk to you, there's nothing you can do about it. No. You, it's, the conversation is over. This conversation point. is over, especially with the weaponization of consent language. If yeah. someone says to you, You do not have my consent to talk to me, then that's it. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate when people choose to weaponize it for their own gain because they're selfish as opposed to reserving that language for people that actually require safety. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. No, you just, you try and grow as a community and you try and... I'm very lucky that in the last two years, pretty much since I've become a more serious host and producer, that I've met people who are willing to, A, be honest and talk to you if they think that you might be doing something wrong that you're not aware of. Mm -hmm. And also to just be open about communicating about the scene and the industry and certain performers. You know, I never want to make someone feel unsafe. I also never want to invite someone to a show that may make someone else feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. Even if I have no issue with that performer, it is irrelevant at that point. Sure. If they make someone else feel unsafe for a very good reason, or even a not very good reason, you should not be putting people in that position. Mm -hmm. But also, it becomes a difficult thing, and I'm sure you've experienced this as a producer, when you're trying to produce a show and you don't always know these things right. because people aren't vocalizing them, mm -hmm. you know, and then they vocalize it the day of a show or the week before of a show. Yeah, and then it's like, ah, okay, I'll handle this. Yeah, I mean, I, I will openly admit on the air, I won't say which performer, but I went to a producer recently and said, this performer did this, this, and this, and I don't think it's okay. And then she went, well, can you work with them? And I went... I can. And she went, okay, then what? Then why? And then it occurred to me, because that performer confronted me on it, I was trying to take away a gig from them. And that's not fair. Even if I have a personal problem with them, if the producer doesn't see that problem, it is not my place to say something before the show. It is my place to say something maybe after the show. Mm -hmm. Say, this is how I felt. I just wanted you to know. But to try and take someone's gig away from them because you don't agree with them is not fair, mm. you know, because then it then it becomes this game of who can we get to not perform by ruining things for them. Right. And, it, it, it and it's not fair. Through. And I apologized to the performer and they called me on it and I explained why. And we had a civil discussion about it, which I think was great, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't think a lot of people do. I think people just, you know, go around in the weeds and try and get these things handled. And I mean, it, you know, it, it's very different if you're dealing with something like assault or something where you just don't feel safe and you can't perform in that show and that's fine. But that wasn't the case here. Mm -hmm. This was someone who made me uncomfortable because I didn't like their stance and their po and their politics, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so I took it to their wallet. And that's not fair to do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and it's such a it's such a um, delicate and important thing to, to, to navigate as a producer. Um, like at Beef, we have a do not admit list, um, yeah. and that list is non-negotiable. Yeah. And I personally, unfortunately, have a, a couple of performers that I simply cannot be in a dressing room with. Yeah. And these things have to be taken very seriously, and but handled delicately. Yeah. Uh, I I compare it to. Um, so I'm a nanny full, uh, I used to be a nanny full time. Now it's my side hustle to drag. So it's like <laughs> drag, nanny side hustle, costume making side side hustle. <laughs> um, so I always talk to kids about like, um, sometimes things have to be handled very carefully and to pretend like um, there is a paper frog in your hand. And if you're not careful, the frog will be crushed or it will jump away. So handling 
um, sharing spaces with people you may or may not agree with and handling sharing spaces with people that may or may not have questionable reputations. It's your paper frog. You yeah. just have to be very, very careful and delicate about those things. Um, at my shows, um, every email I send out to the cast, there's a big paragraph at the end about our do not admit list. And if you have any problems, like this is how it is handled. Mm-hmm. Um, at one beef show, uh, gosh, I guess this was like two years ago. We had a, a situation where we had to ask uh, an audience member to leave because um, they were on the, the do not admit list and our door per- person didn't recognize them out of out of drag. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a difficult conversation, but it was necessary. And there was blowback for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still stand by that choice and still stand by the decision. Sure. Um, it's it's important that that people sometimes take things personally that aren't personally. And it's just how it is. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, people can't work together and that's okay. Um, yeah, we don't have to all agree to, to exist. Yeah. But we don't have to necessarily exist in the same space. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's just part of it. Um, is there, not that you don't have enough to do as it were, but do you have any hobbies that you engage in that aren't related to drag or to burlesque? Or is that pretty much your whole life at this point? Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I, so like from, from, that's a great question. And I guess this is kind of like a bummer answer, but it's, it's the best answer I have. Cause I, I do, it's important to talk about these things. So I talk about it. Yeah. Um, I self-identify as a mentally ill person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I not self, I am mentally ill. I am trans. I am, you know, neuro, neurodivergent person. Um, I have all of these things that kind of create the smoothie that is my personhood. And one of those things, unfortunately or fortunately, is I'm a workaholic. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, all I do is work. <laughs> so I I don't really have hobbies, and I don't really have um, things that I do for the sake of just, like, this is what I do. If everything I do is is either for drag or I'm at work with kids or I'm making something or promoing or whatever, um, the only thing that's an exception, and I guess this isn't like a hobby, is I do try my best to take time to be around my friends. Um, to me, um, my friend group is hugely important to me because I I'm an, I'm an extrovert. I have to be around people. I love people and I love community. But I also, um, I get really lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 about the only thing that I take a break from drag or um, or my side hustles is just to see friends. So, mm-hmm. you know, we we hang out at my house a lot and watch, and, and uh, don't watch TV, but we hang out. We can have the TV on and we'll just like visit. Yeah. Or in the summer months, I like to go to Coney and visit and hang out down there. I'm, I'm down at Coney quite a bit. But other than that, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, besides, of course, loving all of your wonderful animals in your home. Oh, I, well, I guess that if, if that's animals could be, I, well, I describe my house as a small farm. A small farm. It's the it's a drag farm. It's, so yeah. we have our we have our animals. These are the animals that provide um, nothing except love, <laughs> and they just make a mess and, and demand so much of you. So much. So I mean, I mean, you know, Billy, Billy just needs little Billy picnic basket is a 15 year old Chihuahua rescue. She has no teeth. She likes Chihuahuas. 
that are smaller than her and no other dogs. <laughs> she likes tortilla chips. She dislikes when we are out of tortilla chips. <laughs> and she smells bad all the time. Well. Uh, Mr. Milkbox is a orange tabby. He is three and very cantankerous and sweet at the same time. Sounds like a cat. And then three guinea pigs. Three guinea pigs. And what are the three guinea pigs' names? Uh, Ruby, Punk, and Skunk. Nice. Yeah, I they're... Like they're, they sound like they could start their own band. They they are in a band. It's okay. called the Guinea Pigs Band. Yeah, there you stuff. go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about Coney Island a little bit because you are Mr. Coney Island. I am. Which is amazing. <laughs> I was so bummed that I wasn't able to make that show, but so excited to see that you won. Um, an incredible group of performers this year. This is the first year of Mr. Coney Island also. It's, it's uh, No, actually oh. it was last year. Oh, last, last year, year was. But um, So last year there was a Mr. Coney Island and then that... that the, the winner of that year, um, I don't know the full details, but we now do not really talk about him. And okay. I'm, I, I have not asked why. I'm just like, okay, whatever we say. Yeah. Um, so I am the first Coney Island in 10 years that is still around, I guess. Unless mm. I also, like, I don't know, get banished. No, <laughs> please don't. We need you around. But that was that's so exciting um, to see, A, because I know how hard you work, and B, because I couldn't imagine anyone else being Mr. Coney Island. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> that competition looked like it was a lot of fun. And, and I think what I love about Mr. and Mrs. Coney Island is that it is a anti-pageant pageant, essentially, right? Absolutely. It is literally yeah. like uh, spitting in the face of pageants, mm -hmm. in, but in pageantry. Yeah, and great pageantry. Like, I, um, when I was asked if I, would, if I would be interested in participating, of course I said yes, and, like had full intention on working on the costumes for a year and I was going to like really commit my year to just spreading this out and making it nice and easy for myself. Of course I did not do that. <laughs> no. Uh, I didn't, don't tell anyone involved, but I didn't start any of those looks until two months before the, the, the pageant. Wow. Yeah. All of those looks were completed in two months and most of them were completed three weeks before the show. Wow. Because I... Have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know all about putting stuff off until like, like, so for DJing shows, and if you're listening and you're a producer that I've worked with, I've never done this for your show. Not your show. Just other shows. But um, I'll put together the playlist. My, I built a lot of custom playlists for shows. I will usually put them together the night before or the day of. Um, usually I'll put together the set list. If I've gotten it in advance, I will sometimes do it in advance. Sometimes I'll pull that together the day of the show as well. Yeah. Um, so I totally understand and can relate to that. Um, also, I got to see you in your full glory at the Mermaid Parade this year. I uh, marched for the first time in the Mermaid Parade, which was so much fun. Um, yeah, you, you looked great. Thank you. You did it. Um, you had a uh, uh, octopus king look that was to die for. Thanks. You what know, what's funny, though, is I... What so so I marched with Vixen, Ash Blight, and JJ Sparks, and mm -hmm. we were like so excited. We we're like, oh, it's a mermaid parade. We're gonna look great. We looked so basic compared <laughs> to the look. I, I was know it was shocked. insane. I was like, oh my god, what did I do? Yeah, I literally oh. wore an open uh, bowling shirt, uh, bathing suit, and a bandana, and I was like. Look at all these people. Like, this is so extra and amazing. so good. Like, like I learned that, because now also it was the most fun I've had in a parade because I never felt overwhelmed or squashed or miserable. Yeah. Like I just had a great time marching with Magical Girl Burlesque. So next, for the next one, I have to go a little more extra. Mm -hmm. I need some semblance of a costume. I haven't figured out what yet. Although I had thought, so there's this video game called Splatoon 
that's uh, a Nintendo property where the main characters are these inklings. They are these non-gender specific boy and girl kind of representations, but they're not they're not hard gendered. Cool. And there are these creatures that can turn into squids and they shoot ink. And like I've oh, there, there's a lot in the community online about them being a trans representation, which I think is really cool. But also they have like their hair is made of tentacles. <gasps> And so, like... If I, only you knew a wig maker. Right? And so I've considered possibly doing something like that. But um, but I just thought it was so cool to see all of these groups of people doing such amazing and different things. Like, no two people look the same unless they wanted to, which I also thought was amazing. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, I can get behind, like, a group of 15 people dressed in identical crazy outfits. Like, that is, like... <laughs> Yeah, right? It's like, so I can see a, a beef squad in the future rolling into into the Mermaid Parade in all identical outfits. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys need a uniform, I think. I have I no idea what... Need a uniform. I don't know what it would be, but, like, I'm imagining maybe, like, a, 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 a an X-Men-style flight suit in bright colors. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, like, the, the squad has been meaning to get on that uniform game for a while because we all... We like going I mean, out you together. Also, you we roll like... into an into a into a show in a group. Yeah. Like my favorite thing is being. I would say my second favorite thing to seeing you perform is seeing you as an audience member, <laughs> because you are the best and most participatory audience member ever, and I, I just love, love it. it. I, I love. Well, and that's shows. the best thing is that like your your excitement is never put on. You are always yeah. just so enjoying every moment, and it's just even in very serious acts when something really dramatic happens and really great. It'll be silence, and then you'll hear, yes, <laughs> which is my favorite thing. Um, it reminds me of when I first started in burlesque. My favorite hobby was watching Nasty Canasta enjoy something oh, yes. because she does the same thing. She just gets so excited and so into it. It's really, really brilliant. Oh, I love Nasty Canasta. She's so amazing. Yeah. Um, um, uh, oh, I guess I haven't asked yet, and I ask a lot of performers this. Who was your earliest influence for drag like who is your drag daddy or mom i suppose i know that we share a mom in mm-hmm. uh, in faux pas la fay. yeah hi mom hi mom <laughs> um but who was your earliest influencer for burlesque and drag oh my gosh well i mean like other performers you mean? yeah um lord uh well murray hill yeah of course um when i first started hosting like murray hill was like Oh, I, I remember the last time I saw Murray Hill, he came up to me and said, hey, Lee, how you doing? And I, and I was like, Murray Hill knows who I am. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was, that was pretty cool. Um, but I think, yeah, Murray Hill, like his whole affect, not necessarily his hosting style. It's very different from what I do, but like um, very much on board with the Murray Hill drag king, like starting it all train. Um, but probably... As far as, like, performance, the person that first, like, I, I first started, like, realizing, like, oh, I like what you do, and I see what you're doing influencing what I'm doing would be Sasha. Yeah. Um, and that was, that's mostly just because Sasha comes from a, um, a visual arts background, too. So um, I wasn't necessarily, mi- necessarily mimicking what she was doing because she does drawing. But I realized, like, oh, I can use my creative... Um, uh, education and what I learned in school and like that background in my drag and how can I do that and um, so probably the first act that I did that was quite influenced by the ideas I got from Sasha and like using sculpture to to make 
drag pieces was Gandalf. Yeah. That act is old. Um, really? Most people don't realize that I've been doing that act for three years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I started doing that act a long time ago. And just the idea of, like, sculptural pieces uh, as functional drag stuff. Yeah. That's not a good sentence. But, like... <laughs> we get the idea. So, the, uh, so the, for the Gandalf act, the hat is... Um, this big felt hat that I made all by myself and the hair of Gandalf the Grey and the beard and everything is attached to that hat. Mm -hmm. So it became like this functional prop, but it's also like a very visually pleasing thing to look at. Right. I take a lot of pride in in that piece. Um, And then from there, I started doing more, um, more sculptural type uh, drag props like uh, my The Hound act. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I never do that act because it's just entirely too much makeup. But like, <laughs> So The Hound and the the helmet that I made for The Hound, That's it, there's 25 hours of carving on that thing. Oh, wow. And uh, the Totoro costume took forever and like all these other things um, that were just really just essentially wearable sculpture. Right. And so Sasha was the influence for taking your fine art skills and putting them into drag. Amazing. Um, Before we wrap up, um, I would love for you to be able to tell people where they can find you on the internet. Obviously, Beef Show. Beef Show. And um, I never get tired of that. And then you are Leave Alone in all the places. I'm in all the places. So if you go on Instagram, you can do Alone. That's L-E-E-V-A-L-O-N-E. You can find me there. You can find me on the Face Brains um, as Leave Alone. Um, you can come to Beef Show, which is the last Tuesday of the month. And I also have entirely too many other shows, but they're all brilliant, I assure you. Um, we, I have um, the Sinner's Kit Kat Cabaret, which I co-produced with my gorgeous drag sister, Vixen. Mm-hmm. I have Dungeons and Drag Kings with Anya Keister, who mm-hmm. is equally gorgeous, each equally beautiful. Yes. Um, at the Way Station on the third Monday of the month. And coming up uh, at Rock Bar, uh, I I now am the official karaoke MC on Wednesdays after uh, White Elephant Burlesque. But on the second mo- uh, second Wednesday of the month, uh, we are bringing back Yell Club. Yell Club. I remember <laughs> I remember seeing Yell Club, and so I'm so excited to go to Yell Club because I remember seeing stuff for it and then never getting to see it. Yell Club is. One of the greatest ideas I've ever had, ever. And I can't wait. And you're going to love it because yeah. of the music stuff. But um, so for those of you at home listening, please come to Yell Club. Because what it is, it's a karaoke party where people sign up for songs. And if you tip appropriately, you can have a drag performer lip sync you singing karaoke. <laughs> and ah! it's amazing. It's brilliant. It's, it's just so, so much great. fun. And everyone's like, that seems a little strange. And I'm like, wait till you see it. It is. And it's brilliant. (laughs) It's so much fun. That's awesome. Um, And then, um, of course, you are uh, an active member of White Elephant Burlesque. Um, Mm -hmm. This whole month has been featuring you. Yeah, that's been great. really cool. Um, Is there, the last question I have, is there any off uh, advice you would offer to a newcomer to any of these scenes, something that you didn't know when you started that might help them in their development? Sure. Oh, yeah. I love this question because um, I I get asked it a lot and I'm very prepared. And so I feel good about this. (laughs) So this is, this is a, uh, the answer I give to just about everyone and the, the answer that like has come about from years and years of pondering this question the best thing you can do as a new performer is just go 
look at what people are doing. Mm -hmm. Go to shows. Most producers, if you email them and say, hi, I'm a new performer. I don't have a lot of money to come to your show. Is there any way I can be comped? Uh, most pr pr producers, if it's like a show like White Elephant or Beef or something, are going to be like, hell yeah, just come watch. <laughs> it's totally cool. Um, get on YouTube. See what people are doing. Like, Just consume as much media as you can about what it is you want to do. And then all you can do is just practice. Practice, practice, practice. It doesn't matter if it's not good. It doesn't matter if you don't have a gig. It doesn't matter if you just get on you know, your drag and walk around your house or if you practice your burlesque moves in your living room. You just have to practice because um, there's this great Ira Glass quote that says, you have to make a lot of really bad work before you start making good work, yeah. but it's your taste. As long as you have good taste and you know what you want to do eventually, you will get there. It's just a question of when. So the best thing to do, don't spend a lot of money. Don't throw down hundreds of dollars on makeup or on props or costumes. Just work with what you have. Go to shows and practice. Awesome. Um, the last request I have for you, leave alone, this has been a pleasure, is to do our sign-off here. Um, I get to do the sign-off? You do. Yes! So music is life and life is good is the sign-off. And it's evolved from just being strictly about music. It's this idea that if you're making or participating in good art, you have a good life. Mm -hmm. And so I would love for you to sign off uh, autographs today with our sign-off saying. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm like, what if I, ah, this is going to be great. <laughs> Do I just say that? You That's just say, say music is life and life is good. That's it. Music is life and life is good. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life and life is good.